Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. Most of us have an opinion right out of the box when we hear the name Ellen White. But who was she, really? Today, Robert Quintana sets the record straight about the woman who guided the Adventist movement in its early years, and what, if at all, she and her writings should mean to us today, and his message, Setting the Record Straight. You may have noticed that I have entitled today's message, Setting the Record Straight, the truth about Ellen White. I wonder if that's why there are so many people here today. Man, that's going to be a good one. That's going to be a juicy message. And I think you're right. It's going to be a very interesting one. And uh, undoubtedly, I'm going to say some things here today that might not sit well with you. On whatever side of the fence you fall on this issue, whether you believe that Ellen White is not a prophet Or if you believe that she is a prophet, I will probably make you feel a little bit uncomfortable with some of the things that I'm going to say here today. And I've been wanting to have a message like this for quite some time now and really never found an opportunity or the appropriate time to speak on this issue. But I do believe that it is important for us to understand a little bit about the ministry of Ellen White, who Ellen White is or was, and, and how we implement her in our day-to-day life, and how as a church we respond to that. I want to take a moment now and just acknowledge all of the listeners that might be listening today on the radio or maybe online or through our broadcast. I'm very aware that a lot of you have tuned in week after week, and you don't know much about Uh, the Adventist church, or maybe we were or I was the first exposure that you had to the Seventh-day Adventist church. You may be here today visiting with us for the very first time. You were invited here by a friend, by a family member, and uh, maybe you're not too sure about the Seventh-day Adventist church. You've heard this, that, or the other. Uh, You know, you've heard that uh, the Adventist church is a cult and that they don't believe in Jesus Christ and they don't believe in the scriptures. They uplift this prophet Ellen White above scriptures. Well, today I want to have a very honest and open um, conversation with you, a very open and honest, forthright message where I want to share with you the truth about Ellen White. I want to set the record straight. And I want to look at some of the myths and some of the misunderstandings out there about Mrs. White and her teachings. And, uh, you know, if, if you've been listening for us for a while now, week after week, hopefully you've come to the conclusion that Seventh-day Adventists believe in Scripture. We believe in the Bible. We uplift the Bible as our ultimate authority. And we use the Scriptures to be the guide for our lives. And maybe that's why you've been tuning in week after week. And maybe that's why you come here week after week, to listen to biblical messages, to learn biblical principles and to take those biblical principles and apply them to our lives in a very real and practical way. That those biblical, pre, uh, biblical principles, the teachings of God, the teachings of Jesus Christ can permeate our lives and can help us live a better life. That we can take those biblical principles and apply them to our marriage, apply them to our relationship, apply those um, biblical principles to our day-to-day, how we relate to one another in a work setting or at a, in a school setting or even in a church setting. Hopefully, and I pray that as you have been tuning in or listening to us week after week, that has come across, that we are a people that believe in the Word of God. And before I go on, I just want to clarify something that I said last week. Because I want you to understand the importance of Scripture within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And last week in talking about this journey that we're on, learning about Jesus Christ, I, I made a statement. I said, let me go on the record and say, you don't need to read the Bible every day. Someone later that week, this past week, came up to me and said, Pastor, did you really, really mean that? Because I'm afraid that some may 
misunderstand what you were trying to say. So let me be very clear. I believe that we ought to meditate and study one way or the other the word of God daily. What I was trying to say last week is that we shouldn't get into this, into this mindset that we need to rush through the Bible or that we need to read the Bible through and through, missing out on good stuff. In other words, if you come across a chapter in Scripture and you don't understand that chapter, don't feel like you have to move on and forget about it. You can just meditate on it. You can just put the Bible aside and just think about what you just read. For two days, three days, maybe a week, you may go a month meditating and studying that one chapter of Scripture. We believe as a Seventh-day Adventist church that the Word of God is living and breathing and can affect us in very powerful ways. And it has the power to change us from the inside out. We believe that it reveals to us the will of God for our lives. We believe that through the word of God, we are taught this redemption story. We are told of this great plan of salvation that God has set forth since the beginning of the earth, since the foundations of the earth was laid. We believe that through the word of God, we learn about Jesus Christ and his ways. Through the word of God, we understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross for our sins. And that through the grace of Jesus Christ, having faith in his righteous acts, his righteous acts are imputed on our behalf and we can have the assurance of salvation. The word of God teaches us all of that. It is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, the word of God says that it is able to make us wise unto salvation. The scriptures is our ultimate authority. And everything that we read and everything that we hear needs to be, has to be put up against the word of God and needs to be tested against the word of God. Hopefully, you know, as you've been listening to us week after week, that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. I know that that's a big misunderstanding out there among other Christian denominations. They look at our church, and because we go to church on Saturday, they say, oh, see, they believe in the law. The law. Well, you know, I can make a pretty good argument as to why we go to church on Saturday. We do believe that the law was done away with at the cross. We believe that the sacrificial laws were done away with at the cross. Not God's moral law, not the Ten Commandments. And when you read the fourth commandment, it states, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so as Seventh-day Adventists, we don't go to church on Sabbath because somehow we think that by going to church on Sabbath, we're going to be saved. No, we go to church on Sabbath because that's what we believe God is asking us to do. We believe that that is a day that he has set aside, that he has made holy, and that we have the privilege of coming together on that day as Christian believers and worshiping together and acknowledge him as our Lord and our Savior and as our Creator. So hopefully as you listen to us week after week, maybe you've maybe, you've maybe changed your opinion on Seventh-day Adventists. And like I said, maybe we were the first exposure that you've had to the Adventist church, and we pray that it's been a good one. We pray that these messages that we bring week after week have been uplifting and have helped you understand God's principles for your life and maybe understand the plan of salvation that has been laid out for us in his word. Well, today I want to look at and set the record straight and talk to you very openly and honestly about Ellen White because Ellen White is a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. She was one of many who helped form the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Ellen White grew up as a Methodist. 
And that's why when you look at the Seventh-day Adventist church and you look at the structure of the Adventist church, it resembles very closely the Methodist structure. It looks a lot like the Methodist church. Did you know, by the way, that the reason we have Sabbath school is because Methodists had Sunday school? We learned that from the Methodist church. And so on Sabbath morning before our our main service here, we have Sabbath school. We get together in small groups and we study the word of God together. Yeah, we got that from the Methodist church. Ellen White grew up a Methodist. And as she studied with other believers at the time, there were certain conclusions that they arrived to, one of which is the Sabbath. Another one was about the second coming. Another one of those was what happens to a person when they die. And as they studied the word of God together, they came with all of these somewhat new beliefs or new doctrines, and so they felt the need to form a new church. You know, I've always said that we, the Seventh-day Adventist church, is only an extension of the Reformation. You see, because during the dark ages, unfortunately, the church went astray, and a lot of false teachings entered the church, one of those being salvation by works, uh, indulgences, and you had to uh, pay a certain amount of money to ensure that your, that your friends or that your family members who were in purgatory can make it up to heaven, and you had to, you had to pay out exorbitant amount of money in order to ensure that. And then here comes Martin Luther, a monk, and he starts reading the word of God and he says, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Uh, This isn't so. And so he says, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not of our works. It is because of his sacrifice. And so there the Lutheran church comes forth. And then you have another group of people that in studying the word of God, they come to realize that, wait a second, This sprinkle baptism or baptism of infants, that's not biblical. The uh, the Bible teaches that baptism is something that's reserved for an adult to make that decision when someone is of age and they accept Jesus Christ into their life, that they should be baptized by immersion. And so you have another group that was formed, the Baptist. Well, several years later, the Adventist church comes And in reading the word of God, they stumble upon some of these truths that had been forgotten. Truths like the Sabbath, truth like a soon return, a visible, audible event where Jesus will come and save those who have accepted him as their Lord and Savior. And so you have, you birth a new denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So I want to talk to you today very openly and very honestly about some of the myths about Ellen White, you need to understand that one of the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist church is the gift of prophecy. Now, for most Seventh-day Adventists, when they hear the term gift of prophecy, for a lot of Adventists, they automatically think of Ellen White. I want to share with you all here today that that should not be so. You know, when we think of the gift of preaching, we don't only think of Dwight Nelson or we don't just think of Mark Finley. It is a gift that God has given the church and the church uses that gift to build up the church and to spread the gospel message. And when we sometimes think of the gift of prophecy, we sometimes only think of Ellen White. That should not be so. Because as we are told in Scripture, the gift of prophecy is one of many gifts that are given to the church. We are told in Scripture that we should not despise prophecy. And we're also told that the gift of prophecy is one of those spiritual gifts that we should long for, that we should pray for, that we should desire the gift of prophecy. And to say that the gift of prophecy is only held in Ellen White, we put ourselves in great danger. We put ourselves in a position that says no more growth, 
No more revelation. God, we have heard it all. We're good. And you know what happens when a person or a congregation or a church or an institution becomes content with where they are. You know what happens? Growth stops. If you ever get to the point in your Christian journey where you think, man, I figured this out. I have it all. I know the truth about Jesus and I know the truth about the Sabbath. I have figured this out. When you come to that point in your Christian journey, folks, you have stopped growing in Christ. You need to understand that especially on this sin-stricken world that we live on, with our very finite minds, there is no way that we will ever be able to fully comprehend who God is and what God's will is for our lives. In fact, we are told that for the rest of eternity, we will be learning of this love that God has for us. And so we can't just be satisfied and say, oh, you know, God gave the gift of prophecy once to our church and so that's enough. No, we need to be open to the fact that the gift of prophecy is something that God desires to continue to give to the church. This is why last week's message was important. And if you didn't hear last week's message, I encourage you to go on our website, download it, or see our sound guys in the back, and they can get you a copy of last week's message, because it's important for you to understand that the gift of prophecy is something that God desires to continue to give to his church. In other words, he desires to continue to reveal to his church his will for individuals and the church and the going forth of the gospel message. It is God's desire. And last week's message, in just a a quick review, because it's important as we move forward here, it's important that you understand that we are told in Scripture, we are warned that in the last days there will be false prophets. There will be false Christs that will arise and will teach false doctrines. We are told that there will be those among us who will rise up and have visions and have dreams as God communicates to his people his will and how they ought to live. So we need to be aware. We need to be open to this. We can't just put it aside. We just can't stop our ears and not listen. We need to be aware that God desires his church to exercise the gift of prophecy and we can't just shut the door to it. That raises a responsibility for us, doesn't it? What that means for us is that in order for us to be able to differentiate between a true prophet and a false prophet, that means that we need to know and understand the word of God. We need to know the word of God. How else will we be able to know if what someone is saying is true or false if we do not understand the word of God? This is why I believe that the devil does so much to try and distract us from studying the word of God. Can't tell you how many times I hear, Pastor, I don't, I don't have the time. I just don't have the time to read the word of God. I don't have the time to study the word of God. Do you think that's coincidence? It is imperative that we study the word of God, that we know what's in the word of God. Because when a prophet arises, we need to understand, are they speaking truth or are they speaking error? Last week, we talked about how the Bible gives us a criteria for what makes a true prophet and a false prophet. That's right. The Bible gives us a criteria, a criteria for us to be able to understand and, and be able to say, okay, are they a true prophet or are they a false prophet? The Bible gives us that. And I just want to share one of those with you because it's my favorite. But the Bible tells us that if they do not proclaim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and died for our sins and resurrected from the grave to ensure our eternal salvation, if they do not 
believe that, if they do not proclaim that, the Bible says they are not a prophet. I have not sent them to you. So anyone who raises up and says, I am a prophet, you need to listen. Do they acknowledge and accept that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior? Well, last week I shared many other tests, and that's why I want to encourage you to pick up last week's message so that you're aware what are those tests of a true prophet. But I need to share with you about Ellen White. You see, because the Seventh-day Adventist church makes a pretty big claim. That's right. It is a humongous claim. And I can see and understand why some people would feel very uncomfortable with it. You see, we don't like the idea of someone having a dream or a vision and then coming before a body and saying, I've been given a revelation from God and this is how we ought to live our life. You know, a lot of us, we would think, cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. You heard what? But the Bible tells us it's going to happen. And the way that we know if it's true or false is through the word of God. The Seventh-day Adventist church does make a pretty big claim. And that claim is that that gift of prophecy was manifested in a woman by the name of Ellen White back in the mid-1800s. And so with that claim, with that out there, It is our responsibility to now say, okay, what did she say and does what she say go against what the scriptures say? If you compare them and you start reading her works or her writings, you need to ask yourself, okay, is what she says contrary to the word of God? And then you need to make that decision. Did you know that Ellen White wrote over 40 books, including compilations? It's close to 100 books. She is the most prolific female writer in the history of all time. She literally wrote thousands, and I mean thousands upon thousands of articles and manuscripts and letters. The volume of her work is extensive. It is huge. It is so big that not all of her writings are published. Are you aware of that? Only a percentage of her writings are published. You can go to the whiteestate.org and you can read through all of her published works. There are some works that aren't published. They're not kept in secret somewhere. You do have access to them. There are three locations that you can go to, Loma Linda University, the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, which is located not far from here in Silver Springs, and then Andrews University, they're housed copies of all of her writings. So if you have a question about something that she wrote, and I'm gonna come back to this here in just a second, but if you have a question about something that she wrote, you can go to one of these locations and you can ask to pull one of those manuscripts or one of those letters and you can read that paragraph in its entirety. In other words, in its entire form. And I'm going to explain that in just a few moments. I'm going to come back to that. But we have a responsibility, don't we? And the responsibility that we have is to say, if someone makes a claim, If an institution makes a claim, if an organization or if a church makes a claim that there is a prophet among them, we have a responsibility to decipher and discern whether or not it is a true prophet of God or not. Now, I want to share with you some of the misunderstandings that might be out there that maybe you've heard of. I want to share with you, and I'm good, I've, I've put these in questions, okay? The first misunderstanding, question number one. Is belief in Ellen White or in the writings of Ellen White a requirement to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? In other words, do you have to believe that Ellen White was a prophet in order to be a Seventh-day Adventist, in order to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist 
church? Is it a test of fellowship? It's important that I talk about some of these misunderstandings because you need to understand that within the Adventist church, there is a huge spectrum of how to interpret and how to, um, how to read the writings of Ellen White. On the one extreme, you have the very conservative that say Ellen White was a prophet. On this extreme, you will have some that say the writings of Ellen White are equal with Scripture, which, by the way, goes against the teachings of the Adventist church and go against what Ellen White said about her own writings, all right? But you have that sect within our church that says you have to believe in Ellen White in order to be a member. All of her writings, everything was inspired. It is equal to the word of God. On the other extreme, you have some within the Adventist church that do not believe that she was a prophet at all and that we should avoid her at all costs and that we shouldn't read her at all. And unfortunately, there are these two extremes, but the majority of Seventh-day Adventists fall somewhere in the middle. The question, do you need to believe in Ellen White as a prophet in order to be a Seventh-day Adventist? The answer is no, you do not. That might come as a surprise to some of you here today. It is a part of our fundamental beliefs. It is the 18th. We have 28 fundamental beliefs. The 18th one talks about the gift of prophecy. And in that fundamental belief, it says that that gift was manifested in Ellen White. So you might be saying, well, wait a second. If it's part of our fundamental beliefs, then why isn't a test of fellowship? Well, in an article that I read... Um, This week by one of our renowned theologians and scholars, teacher at the the seminary, or at least was a teacher at the seminary, wrote a really extensive article on this issue. And in his article, he concluded that no, you do not need to believe in Ellen White to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And then he compares it to another belief of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And he says that if we were to apply this other belief, then we would have to disfellowship about 40% of our church. Do you know which other doctrine he compared it to? Giving, tithe. That's right. You do not need to return a faithful tithe in order to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Even though it is one of our beliefs, it's one of our fundamental beliefs that God encourages a faithful giving, a return of our 10%. But if you don't, we don't disfellowship. So it's not unheard of that there are some beliefs that we hold true as fundamental that you do not necessarily need to buy into in order to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And I want to read to you here some quotes regarding this um, issue. Just some individuals through history that have echoed this same sentiment. Did you know that James White, the husband of Ellen White, agrees with this statement? That you do not need to believe in the writings of Ellen White in order to be a member of the church. In fact, co-founder... Um, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, three times GC president, that's General Conference president, are, are the highest organization here in our church. He said, it is well known that we have been charged with testing all men by the visions and of making them the rule of our faith. This is a bold untruth, he says, of which those who uttered it were not ignorant. This I have denied and deny it still. In other words, he denies the claim that you need to believe in Ellen White in order to be a member of the Adventist church. J.N. Andrews, one of our great founders of the church, a great missionary, the first missionary to um, Europe, also echoes the same. He says, we therefore do not test the world in any manner by these gifts, 
nor do we in our intercourse with other religious bodies who are striving to walk in the fear of God in any way make these a test of Christian character. Uriah Smith echoed the same words. George Butler, who was GC president for two terms, George Irwin echoed the same, another president of our church, Francis Wilcott, and the list goes on and on and on through the history of our church, the stance that you do not need to believe in Ellen White in order to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Do you want to guess who else said that? Anybody want to guess who else said that? I hear some of you saying it. That's right, Ellen White herself. She herself explicit on this point. Uh, She said, such should not be deprived of the benefits and privileges of the church. If their Christian course is otherwise correct and they have found a good Christian character. In other words, you can be a good Christian, a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ. You can be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You do not need to believe that Ellen White was a prophet in order to be a member of our church. But like I mentioned a little bit ago, it's a pretty big claim that the Adventist Church makes. And it is your responsibility to take those writings, to take what she has written and compare it to scripture and then make the decision for yourself. You know, I hear so many times that Ellen White says this and Ellen White says that. And I have found something very peculiar I have found that most people who go around saying Ellen White says this and Ellen White says that don't really ever read Ellen White. I'll ask them, well, where did she say that? Well, I don't know. I just know she did. Well, no, no. But where did you hear? Well, I heard somebody say that she said that. So you've never actually read it for yourself? No, I just know that she has. But how do you know that she has? And I just kind of go around and as I I, I dig a little deeper, well, well, when was the last... What was the last book you read about Ellen White? Well, I don't know. I think it was the Great Controversy a long, long time ago, like 20 years ago, and you haven't read anything since? It is important for us to remember that it is not a requirement, it is not a test of fellowship for anyone to believe in Ellen White in order to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the reason for that is very simple. The reason for that is because the scriptures is our ultimate authority. Everything answers to the word of God. The next question that I have for you to kind of clear up some of the misunderstandings out there is, are Ellen White's writings equal to the Holy Scriptures? Well, I've already said very briefly, that no, it is not. But now I want to emphasize how imperative it is for us to understand that the writings of Ellen White are not equal to the Word of God. I have some um, quotes that I'd like to share with you here. Um, You can find all of this, by the way, on Adventist.org, on the official site of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find some of these quotations on whiteestate.org, which is the official website of all of Ellen White's writings. But I want to just read to you some of these statements because they're very important as we try and clear up some of these misunderstandings. It says, Seventh-day Adventists do not place Ellen White's writings on the same level as Scripture. This is an official statement. The Holy Scriptures stand alone, the unique standard by which her and all other writings must be judged and to which they must be subjected. Another way of framing this question is to ask why the church should need any of the promised gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ellen White answered this question in the introduction to her book, The Great Controversy Between Christ and Satan. In his word, 
Ellen White says, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of his will. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, and the test of experience. Every scripture inspired of God is also profitable for teaching. And here she quotes 2 Timothy 3.16. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, which is in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, furnished completely unto every good work. It is important that you understand here today that we clear up some of the misunderstandings that are out there about Ellen White. You do not need to believe in Ellen White in order to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The writings of Ellen White are not in par with the Holy Scriptures. She herself said many times over that if we would study the Word of God, if we would meditate on the Word of God, if we made the Word of God our drink, our meal, if we made it our all in all, she says, there would not have been need of me to come to point people to the word of God. She says, I am only the lesser light pointing people to the greater light. And time and time again, she expressed this, that we need to be a people of the word because the word of God is our authority. The word of God is our standard. Well, let's look at some of these other um, misunderstandings about the word, uh, about Ellen White and her writings. It's important at this time that I explain to you the differences between a book and a compilation. I mentioned this briefly a little bit ago, but it's important that we understand the difference. And here in my hand, I have an example of each. In my right hand to your left, Um, I have Christ's Object Lessons, which is a book that she wrote from cover to cover. She wrote around 40 books that she wrote from cover to cover, whether it was through a vision or a dream or she was inspired to write the book. There are many books out there that you can read, books that she wrote again from cover to cover. By the way, this little book is a fabulous little book, Christ's Object Lessons. What she does is she goes through some of the parables of Jesus, some of the stories of Jesus, and then she takes those stories and she applies them to our lives. She applies it to day-to-day living. She says this story, the principles of this story is how you apply it to your life. It's a beautiful, wonderful little book. But in my other hand, in my left hand to your right, I have a book entitled Evangelism. This, my friends, is a compilation. You have a book, you have a compilation. Let me explain to you what a compilation is because it's very important for you to understand what a compilation is. A little bit ago, I shared with you that Ellen White wrote extensively. Not all of her work is published. She wrote thousands and thousands of articles and manuscript and letters to individuals. She wrote so much. It's really unbelievable. I've been to one of these centers and it's just lined with with just the letters that she wrote. Well, the White Estate, which, by the way, was put together per her wishes in her will and testament, She wrote how her writings were to be dealt with after her passing, and she gave clear instructions as to who and what this committee was to look like and what this committee was to be made of and how the writings that she left behind were to be used. So you have the white estate. Who will put together on occasion will come out with a new book. I have in my hand evangelism. What did they do? What they did was they said, okay, what does Ellen White have to say about evangelism? She didn't write a book on evangelism, but they asked the question, what does she have to say about evangelism? And so, for instance, here on page 105, 
a chapter entitled Organizing for Meeting, the White Estate said, okay, what does Ellen White have to say about putting a meeting together? You know, when, when you're going to have an evangelistic outreach and effort, you know, when you're going to call the community to, to preach to them the gospel message, wh- what is it that you ought to do? What are some of the things that you need to keep in mind? And so they scurried through all of her writings. They read all of the writings. And if they ever found anything that talked about bringing a meeting together, they pulled that sentence or they pulled that paragraph or they pulled that statement out of that article or out of that manuscript or maybe they pulled it out of a letter and then they put it under this heading, organizing a meeting. So let me just read to you so that you kind of have an understanding of what I'm talking about here. Here she says, men are needed who pray to God for wisdom and who under the guidance of God can put new plans, can, can invent new plans and new methods of awakening the interests of church members and reaching the men and women of our world. I just read that little paragraph right there. For those of you that are listening online or on the radio, I'm circling here in front of everyone, the paragraph that I just read. And at the bottom of that, it says, Manuscript 117-1907, which means this was a manuscript that she wrote back in 1907. Now I'm going to read another paragraph to you. Just a few paragraphs before, it says, There are some minds which do not grow with the work, but allow the work to grow far beyond them. Those who do not discern and adapt themselves to the increasing demands of the work should not stand blocking the wheels and thus hindering the advancement of others. And then after that paragraph, it says, letter 45, 1889. So that little paragraph there was taken out of a letter that she wrote back in 1889. Now you can see the pros and the cons to what I have just mentioned here. Of course, the downfall is that we do not have in front of us right away access to the context in which she wrote that paragraph or that statement. Because that statement or that state, that paragraph is part of a much larger work. Now you have the ability to go to one of these centers and you can say to them, I want you to pull for me manuscript 117. And they will go and they will pull manuscript 117 out of file and they will give it to you. And then you can read the whole manuscript in its context. I had an opportunity to do this when I was in seminary. I was doing a study on baptism, and I wanted to know what Ellen White had to say about baptism. I read some of the stuff that had been published where she talks about baptism, and then I took where that passage was found, and I went to that center there at Andrews University, and I said to them, I want you to pull for me letter. I don't remember what the, the, you know, what, number the letter was, but they went and they pulled that letter in its entirety and they gave it to me. It was fascinating because you can read in her own words and in her own ink, you can see her whole, her own handwriting, which by the way, she had pretty decent penmanship. I mean, you can really understand it. And what was cool was that as you're reading the letter, you would come to a sentence that would be crossed out And then on top of it, she would write what she wanted to say or like kind of rephrasing what she had just said or maybe putting it in in better words to, you know, for the one receiving the letter to understand more clearly what she was trying to say. And so I remember pulling this one letter where she talked about baptism and it was a letter that she had written to a family whose child was considering baptism, and they had a question as to whether or not the child was too young to be baptized. And so 
I read the entire letter. It was about seven pages long. And she starts off by saying, you know, grace to you by our Lord Jesus Christ and how blessed we are that our Savior. And she just goes on and on and talks about Christ and the goodness of God. And and then she transitions and says, I understand that you're dealing with an issue of whether or not your child should be baptized or not. And and then she gives some instructions about baptism. And then she she turns the page again and she goes back to talking about the goodness and the grace of Christ and the goodness of of the plan of salvation and how we need to be vigilant and how we need to share the word of God. It was fascinating. It was amazing. But see, all we have, um, all we're privy to in these compilations is only that section that talks about baptism. We need to understand and realize that when we are reading compilations, we are reading excerpts from all of her writings that may be dealt with a specific topic or subject. And we need to keep that in mind because we need to understand the greater context of what she's saying. Maybe what she was saying or speaking to was to a particular family with a particular issue. And maybe she was addressing that family. And now when we pull something out of that letter, we can certainly apply the principle that she is trying to convey, but the actual thoughts or the actual uh, instruction may not apply to your situation 100%. You can certainly pull the principle out of that and apply it, but you need to be aware the difference between a book and a compilation. Now, very quickly, you know, I have some of you that come up to me and say, Pastor, you know, why don't you quote Ellen White from the pulpit more often? After all, isn't this an Adventist church, right? Shouldn't we be hearing you say Ellen White says this and Ellen White says that? Pastor, why don't you use her more from up front? Well, there's good reason why I don't do that. You see, because if I did, I would be going against Ellen White's counsel. She encourages pastors time and time again to focus on the word of God, to preach on the word of God, to say this is what the Lord says in his word. And in fact, I'm going against her counsel right now as I'm reading this to you. I understand But it's important for you to understand what she says on this subject. She says here, How can the Lord bless those who manifest the spirit of I don't care? A spirit which leads them to walk contrary to the light which the Lord has given them. In other words, as you're reading the word of God and studying the word of God, you you shouldn't have an attitude that says, Oh, I don't care what the word of God says, whatever. No, 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 no. She's saying, wait a second. If the word of God is saying it, you need to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to try and be conforming to the will of God. She goes on to say, but I do not ask you to take my words, lay Sister White to one side. She says, do not quote my words again as long as you live Until you can obey the Bible, when you make the Bible your food, your meat, and your drink, when you make its principles the elements of your character, you will know better how to receive counsel from God. I exalt the precious word before you today. Do not repeat what I have said, saying, Sister White says this, and Sister White said that, Find out what the Lord God of Israel says and then do what he commands. Christ said, I must work the works of him that sent me. And so she gives really clear instructions as to how we should handle her writings, her works. And I know that there are many of us here today who have fallen into this habit of saying, well, Ellen White says this. Well, mom, why can't we? Because Ellen White says this. And I'm telling you that we have done the writings of Mrs. White more of a disfavor 
by taking that kind of attitude than by simply sitting down and studying our word of God. And when we're asked the question, well, why can't we or what should we do? The response should be because the word of God says this. Because in the teachings of Jesus Christ, he says that this is how we ought to treat one another. And you know, for anyone here today who goes around saying Ellen White says this and Ellen White says that and you need to believe in Ellen White in order to be a, a member of the church and, and you know, the L- Ellen White's writings are, are on par with Scripture, you are going against the very counsel that Ellen White has given us. You are going against the very teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist church. You know, unfortunately, for many, many years, I would say maybe through the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, that's all you heard, Mrs. White, Mrs. White, Mrs. White. And as a result, we have a generation that's growing up today that doesn't want to hear anything about Ellen White. Ellen White has been shoved down our throats. And, you know, I was at the doctor the other day. I had a little sore in my throat and and of course, you know, they had me open my mouth and, and they stuck, you know, that uh, popsicle stick in your mouth. Has anybody ever been through that just horrible experience? I just cannot stand them poking the back of my mouth and I'm gagging. I'm like, ah, ah. And she's like, it's okay, it's okay. And I, well, give me a second. I got a little woozy. I'm like, I think I'm about to throw up. And she's like, no, no, open up. I got to look some more. I open up and she kept on shoving it in my mouth and I'm like, ah, ah. Could it be that that's what we've done with the writings of Ellen White? We have so jammed them down our children's throat and people's throats that we have a generation that's growing up here today that says, you know what, I don't want to hear anything about Ellen White. We run away from it, and it's unfortunate. Because when you take the time to read the writings of Mrs. White, you will find that in her there is no, you you cannot find a more Christ-centered author. I I, I challenge you to find someone who is more Christ-centered than Ellen White. I mean, when you read her writings and she just talks about the love of Christ for humanity and everything that he's done for us, and this is how he, he ministers to us, and this is his will for your life because he wants you to live a happy life and be happy, it is just beautiful. And unfortunately, there is a generation that doesn't want anything to do with her. And the opinion that they have of Ellen White is simply what someone else has said. Let me pose this question to everyone listening here today. Do you think that President Obama would be happy if people's opinion of him was based on Fox News? Let me ask you this question. Do you think that former former President Bush would be happy if the opinions that people had of him was solely based on what MSN has to say about him? Of course not. Both President Obama and former President Bush would say, you know what? Just hear me out. Just listen to what I have to say. Just listen to how I've voted. Just look at my record. Look at what I have written. And you know, the truth is that we owe it to these individuals. We owe it to them to say, okay, wait a second. I'm going to cut out all the noise I'm going to cut out what everybody else is saying about you. I'm going to cut out what all the websites and all the blogs are saying about you. And I'm just going to listen to your message to see what you have to say. You know what? We owe Ellen White the same privilege. Before you form an opinion on Ellen White, before you say she was a prophet or isn't a prophet, before you make a decision, before you cast judgment... Don't base it on what other people say. You know, give her a chance. Read her for yourself. Pick up one of her books, Steps to Christ, which is, which is a short book. You know, you don't have to start with the book of The Great Controversy, which is a pretty big book. No, start with something small. The, uh, the Mount of, of, of Blessings. What a, a beautiful little book. Uh, the Ministry of Healing, another wonderful book. Just give her a chance, read her for yourself, and then make a decision of whether you think that she was indeed a prophet sent from God 
to shed light to a community of believers that was just getting started as she was given light from above to just help this small community of believers come into the understanding of truths of Scripture that had been forgotten. You need to decide for yourself whether or not she is a prophet or not. Now, here again, I'm going to go against her counsel, but I want to read this to you. Because I want to read it to you just so that you get an understanding, maybe a glimpse as to her writings and how wonderful she is, really, truly. But uh, I had an opportunity here in the last couple of weeks, um, aside from the preparation for this message today, I had an opportunity to read the last chapter of The Great Controversy. It's a phenomenal book from start to finish, but I read it long ago, and here I had an opportunity to just read the last chapter. And I want to read to you a statement that she says here. Let me set the stage. We are now at the very end of Earth's history as we know it. It's post-millennium. The holy city is descending from heaven. The, the dead, the wicked dead are resurrected, as the Bible says, to the resurrection of condemnation. As Revelation tells us that Satan brings these multitudes together to attack the city one last time. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ will stand from his throne and he will say, this is it. No more sin, no more pain, no more death. For the former things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. And as the Bible tells us, fire and brimstone will come down and destroy sin once and for all. But before he does that, he is sitting on his throne and he is surrounded by all of those of us who've accepted Jesus Christ, have accepted his message, have believed in him, and by faith we take hold of his righteous acts. And there we are surrounding his throne. And this is what Ellen White says that Christ will say at that moment as he looks around at his followers. He says, behold, the purchase of my blood. For these I suffered, for these I died, that they might dwell in my presence throughout eternal ages. Now listen, I don't know if Jesus is really going to say that or not. But when I look at the character of Jesus in the scriptures, uh, this does not go contrary to the love and the patience and the absolute overwhelming desire that Christ has to spend the rest of eternity with us. And here in these last closing paragraphs, she simply writes how Jesus will look at his people and say, Behold, the purchase of my blood. For these I suffered, for these I died, that I may live with them for eternal ages. I want to encourage you today, as you leave this place, as you turn off the radio, read her and make your own decision. Don't base your decision on what blogs say or what internet say, but read her for yourself. Make that decision for yourself. I want to make this offer to everyone who's listening online or listening on the radio. We have many of her books available here at the church. And so if you would like one of her books, if you'd like to stop by the church and you'd like to pick up one of her books, please stop by any time during the week or join us here on a Sabbath morning worship. We would be more than happy to place in your hands one of her books like The Desire of Ages, which just talks about the plan of salvation and make the decision for yourself. But remember, the gift of prophecy is something that God will give his people for the revelation of his will for his people and for the revelation of the gospel story. We cannot shut it away. We cannot turn our ears We have to be open to the fact that just as Christ gives to his church the gift of tongues, the gift of preaching, the gift of teaching, the gift of administration, the gift of healing, so he also gives to his church the gift of prophecy. The Adventist church makes a pretty big claim, and it is your responsibility to study it out, 
Compare it to Scripture and make the decision for yourself whether or not Ellen White is a true prophet of God. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we've talked very openly here and very honestly about Ellen White. And unfortunately, there is so much crud and so, so, much mis- so many misunderstandings out there about her. And unfortunately, people haven't taken the time to read her for themselves. Lord, I just pray that as you move in our lives and as we journey on this road, help us to understand that the Word of God stands alone at the top, that through your Word we can find every answer to life's most toughest questions, and through your Word we know how to live, and it is revealed to us the plan of salvation. But Lord, through history, through the beginning of time, from the prophets of old to the New Testament, you have used prophets to be your mouthpiece to help individuals and to point people to the word and to point people to the cross. So God, as we make a decision one way or the other, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you lead and you guide. And Lord, help us to make that decision for ourselves on our own, not based on what other people have to say. And moving forward, can I just ask that you give us the wisdom to discern whether or not you have given the gift of prophecy to an individual um, that might arise among us and say, I've been given a vision, I've been given a dream. Lord, please help us to discern right from wrong. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at frederickSDAChurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link. 